0: Welcome to the eighth episode of Resuscitating the Business of Humanity. The title of this episode is Principles of Nature. The date is April 8th, 2020. The location is Des Moines, Iowa. And I am Gary William Baer. In speaking of the principles of nature, what I am referring to are the three aspects of the triune structure of equal values. The goal of this episode is to talk to you about this organizing principle which we have spent some time discussing in an intellectual, conceptual way. Wherein I would say that it organizes time into a past, a present, and a future, and space into a here, or there, and everywhere. And we talked about the atomic level. We talked about the forms of uh, gaseous, liquid, and solid states. And I I chose that as a starting point in the other episodes because I wanted to let you know that I wasn't making this up, that it actually was already operating in nature. And I did so with the hope that by talking about it this way, you would be open to the idea that, okay, there does seem to be something operating that wherever you or I look, we can see that there are these three things. There are these this trying structure. Ah, Another thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the trying structure of equal values. The reason why I use the expression equal values is that if you consider any of the expressions of life, time or space, sound, light, energy, and matter from which everything is actually configured, if you take away one of the principles, it doesn't work. If you just thinking about the concept of time, Having a past, a present, and a future. If you take away the past, you have no knowledge or a way of identifying the future. And if you take away the future, then it dismantles our concept of present and past. So it is very important that we understand that these three things, these three principles, need to always be operating for the other two to be known and because without one of them the other two have no value they are therefore equal in my consideration but beyond that and and which is the purpose of this particular talk is there's two purposes it's i want to point out what is the relationship between the past the present and the future or the gas liquid and solid or the here there and everywhere what is What is that relationship that is carried out in every other iteration of it operating? And frankly, what is the point of all of this as an intellectual exercise? No, it's the the point of this is to change our level of thinking so that we add that third point. As Einstein said, the problems of the world will not be solved by the level of thinking that created them. And the thought I'm having is that, well, there's this level of thinking that's already operating throughout the world. If we attend to this, we have the opportunity, the hope of arriving at a different outcome. But more than that, what I found was that this principle with its relationships between the three parts was already intact operating in my own awareness. Now, how I came to notice this is a long arc. There's a long arc of understanding or explanation, and it begins at the age of 18, which is literally one year after that bus ride to school at the age of 17, where I was a senior in high school. And as you remember from the introductory episode, during that ride to high school, I experienced a profound shift in consciousness where I had this silence pouring into my mind. And in the space of the silence was this information about the world. And at the time of the experience, it was very revelatory, but it also carried this burden, like what the hell do I do with this insight now that I know it? And oh, by the way, it's dissolving in my capacity to refer to it every moment afterwards. It's like I was in this altered state which had a key to certain insights. And then as my mind fell prey to the normal style of thinking, which was largely polarization, I could only faintly remember it even as I was motivated to find a way back into that that quality of silence. And so, now it's um, November 17th, 1971, and I'm sitting at the Berkeley Center for Transcendental Meditation. And I'm being instructed by this teacher in this transcending process. It was a process that my older brother had gone through a couple years before when he was a junior in high school in Castro Valley, and now I'm living in Newark, California. I'm trans. I'm I'm a student at San Jose State, and I've driven up to Berkeley to take this course, this instruction, this four-day instruction. And not knowing what to expect, I was profoundly moved by the fact that through this simple practice, this silence once again was pouring into my mind. And as the process of thinking and feeling and sensation dissolved before the wave of silence that was pouring into my mind, I thought, wow, I've just stepped onto a practice that will allow me to revisit that quality, that that world of silence that first found me at the age of 17 on my bus ride to school. So I had a new toy that twice a day I could sit and close my eyes and for 20 minutes do this practice, which would settle my thinking, feeling, and sensing down. And it was never quite as profound as the first couple of times because it wasn't as new, but it afforded me a perspective. By that I mean it afforded me an experience of silence from which to observe the moments in my life, especially when I was in activity after I'd meditated. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this uh, experience when I was 17 was very unsettling. And now that I had this practice of meditation, which would give me Um, the experience of silence pretty much on demand. It didn't, the silence didn't talk to me like it did on the bus. It was just silent and I wanted answers. So I'm a freshman at San Jose State. I'm in this honors program, which is called Liberal Studies. It's a two year program and we have electives that we get to pick. And so I pick existentialism. I study with uh, Peter Kestenbaum, meaning I'm a student in a large class studying about existentialism and ontology of consciousness and things like that. And then I'm I'm learning classical philosophies. I'm learning about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. And when it became time to choose my uh, my majors, my major and minor, I'm wanting to have a degree in Asian philosophy. So I'm studying all of the isms, the Buddhism and Hinayana Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, Vedanta, Confucianism, Taoism, Jainism, all the isms. And I'm studying all of these things while I have this practice of silence going on. And I'm looking for answers. I'm not just doing it as an academic exercise, I'm earnestly in search of an understanding about the portent of the the experience when I was 17 and what I needed to do to basically escape the fear that I saw was largely the landscape of life. And I'm reading these books. I'm reading Martin Buber's work on I and Thou. I'm reading Rumi. I'm doing all this stuff. and. At some times, I couldn't understand what the, the writer was saying. Other times, it made perfect sense. But beyond all of that, what was glaring me in the face was that what I was essentially reading were the accountings, the historical records of people throughout history and different cultures who had observed what was naturally normally occurring within their consciousness, and then they were endeavoring to share it with me as a roadmap. Rather, they weren't looking to share it with me in particular, but with the world in general, which becomes a roadmap for humanity to follow, to find their way along that same path. My realization of this was helpful in that I understood that those people were doing what they were doing, were experiencing and then sharing what they were had written down based on having the same mechanism of relating to reality that I did, meaning they too had a present moment, even if they didn't call it that. They too had thoughts they would think and emotions they would feel and sensations they would experience and they noticed that things were spontaneously arising in their consciousness even though they discussed it a different way. But the point of this is that I too had those same faculties and it would behoove me to figure out how to understand what was going on in life in the same way that these people did on the basis of my own experience. So a point in time occurred, it was really much later. It really wasn't until about two thousand and seven that I was either awaking from a nap or from sleep. I was in that that space between, I don't know anything because I'm completely asleep and I become aware of myself where it's as if the lights are turned on, but there's no one home, meaning there's no thought, emotion, or sensation moving. And for some reason, I was able to maintain my awareness of this space of silence without anything moving in it, and then I noticed movement in the silence. Kind of like when you um, you look at a river or a stream that's flowing quietly across the landscape. There's no rocks or anything to give evidence of its movement except once in a while you see a little ripple a little um current moving and that movement validates the fact that that expression of that ripple gives evidence to the fact that something is going on and like that in my consciousness there was this ripple and then and it was it was all like almost like it was slow motion it, It occurred in a very relaxed and not with any fanfare or no dramatic anything. It was just I was in the space of silence. I noticed this movement. And then I observed my attention go to look at the movement. And as soon as my attention looked at it, it named it. It, There was was, um, the naming of it, the identification of it. And it was, ah, I'm thirsty. Now, <laughs> that may not, may not seem like much, but the point I'm, I keep saying the point. However, I noticed three distinct things happening in the space of that moment of silence. I experienced the movement of its own accord in my consciousness. I noticed My mind, my consciousness, my intellect, whatever it is, my attention, looking at it. And in the looking at it, it revealed what it was that was moving in my consciousness. And as soon as I named it, as soon as the thought occurred, which was the name of the movement of that experience caused me to experience the sensation that it was all about. So, there first there's nothing there, then there's something moving, then I notice the movement, the attention is drawn to that. It names it and immediately it causes, it generates the experience of I am hungry. And this is what happens every single time in my consciousness, and I suspect the same is true of you, that there is this gift of the moment, of something moving in the moment, that when our attention falls on it, it educates us about it, and then the information revealed generates the experience that follows. As a person who's looking to understand the mechanics of life so that I can um, navigate to an experience of it where I'm not in fear, where I uh, see what's going on, this perception was very profound. And I experimented with it and I, I took the, the three parts, the gift of the movement, the information about it, and the generation of the experience, and I applied it to the other aspects of time and space, sound and light and energy and matter. And I realized that uh, if we talk about time that the the present moment is the present it's a gift it's a it's a <laughs> and it is present right the word present has three aspects it has that it's present that it is the quality of it is it's a gift, and that itself is presenting it's it's the present it is the structure of the present moment, and that That's the gift. And then the minute the attention lands on the present moment, it informs you about the fact that there's a past because it's now what it was that you just saw or noticed as the present by virtue of the fact that you can name it, it's now the past. And because you have knowledge of a present and a past, then you can apprehend that another moment can come and then becomes the future. And so, in this way, the the past becomes the mediator between the present and the future. If you look at something like um, water having a gaseous, a liquid and solid state, the gaseous state is analogous to the gift of the present. The liquid state is the mediator between the liquid and the solid, and the solid is the future. And I hope this makes sense. So as I experimented with applying this triune structure where there's a gift, there's uh, knowledge, and then there's a generation uh, of, uh, of experience, I'm I'm looking at everything and I'm looking at my past studies and the isms and my knowledge of existentialism and the practical things of my life. And I, I look at uh, the divine nature where there's this creation, maintenance and destructive quality or there's this description of divine nature as being composed of love and wisdom and will. And then I get it and I go, oh, what is love? Love is something that's the gift. And when it, when it arrives, it provides wisdom. It unpacks itself as information, which we call wisdom. And then the wisdom becomes the inspiration for an act of will. And this goes on and on and on in everything. And so, I'm experimenting with it and it wasn't easy because it required me to to stretch my, out of this polarizing way of thinking, which had become my habit when I was younger and I was working through my life to uh, free myself from it by adding this third thing. And it was trying, it was challenging, because at every level of life, the three things are operating, but because we kind of get lazy, in our use of language and words, we, we, we don't pay attention to it. And here I was forcing myself to do so. So, the purpose of this episode is that you and I, if we want to utilize this different level of thinking, we have to start at the beginning, which means that in each moment, you and I and everyone else will be well served if we take a moment to observe to notice that things are arriving spontaneously, that we're not authoring our thoughts, we're not authoring our emotions, we're not authoring our feelings, that they are coming into our moment as a gift. And when the gift is noticed, you have to notice it For the wisdom of it, the information, the knowledge that it contains to to allow you to open the gift, to unpack it, take off the ribbon, you know, tear off the paper, cut open the box and to see what's inside. And then when you see what's inside, you now have an opportunity to do something based on it. You're inspired to say yes, say no or to ignore, which is that act of will. And that's what's going on on the level of the individual. The other part, which is extremely important, is that the human being, you and I as human beings, we can exist in three states as individuals, members of society, and participants in business. And in the same way, the individual on the level of Humanity, the individual, is the gift that informs society about the things that society needs to do to support the individual it becomes the generation of the activities in society that sustain the individual in their pursuit in life. And so, everywhere I looked, I saw this trine structure operating in that. And then I also noted that uh, the individual, when it is... The individuals moving in life that there are certain qualities and attributes that don't change when that individual is in society, and they certainly don't change when that individual is in business. We don't become, other than what we are, in the different states of humanity, in the same way that water, HTO, H2O, doesn't become different when it is a gas, a liquid or a solid. It's still the same element. It has the same properties. The difference is, is that the rate of movement, the proximity of the water molecule to other water molecules changes when it goes from a gaseous state, it's slowing down, right? It becomes a liquid state, it's more coalescing, and then it becomes even more um, solid when the vibration, the movement slows down even more. And the same thing with individuals. When we're moving around and we're a recluse or we're out in the wilderness, we're all by ourselves and we have this nature and what defines uh, us, the difference when we move into society is that our proximity to other people has increased, which means that our freedom in some sense of movement has, is limited by definition of the fact that we identify with the society. And then, as an activity within that society, as a participant in business, our identity is by virtue of the fact that we are in closer proximity with this group of people that are working with us, operating with us, to fulfill some operation, some activity. I hope this makes sense. In closing, what I'm endeavoring to describe is that this principle is embedded in us, and it is natural to us, and it informs us. And we're on the level of the individual, we might call it love, wisdom, and will. On the level of society, it becomes philanthropy. It becomes education, it becomes what we know of as business, and on the level of business, there are also three parts. There's the person who comes up with the idea for the business, there is the group that takes that idea and creates an operation around it, and then there is the means of exchange of delivering that activity of the business into society. And in this elaboration on this triangle structure, what I'm simply trying to explain is that if we take the time to figure out the nature of these three principles and give them equal representation in every area of society, we will find that um, in the same way that the love and the wisdom and the will are of equal value in us as individuals and that philanthropy and education and business need to be of equal value and that at the level of a business, I'll call it the uh, a technology group, the market group, and the investor group of business, they all need to be of equal value. We find that it dramatically changes the organization of the different aspects of individual, social, and corporate life. And what it's doing is it's reorganizing it in accordance with this uh, principle that is eternally operating, that is self-organizing, self-assessing, and self-correcting. And that by taking the time to be guided by this looking for the application of this principle in all the areas of our life, we step onto an alignment with our human nature, with Mother Nature, and Divine Nature. And this is a good thing, because I know for myself, I've ever been looking for a way to be not in conflict with myself, and not in conflict with those in my environment, and not in conflict with the nature at large. And I believe that you will find that this is the key. It's the third thing, it's the missing piece that will solve the problems of mankind by giving us access to a different level of thinking. I very much appreciate you wading through this um, talk with me. And uh, it's all that I have to say at the present moment. I hope you have a great day.